This episode of Little Bit of Life is brought to you by We Believe You SOS. I came in contact with this amazing company that is a group of military women, veterans, and military spouses that wanted the injustice that they were seeing with sexual assault survivors and domestic violence in the military to stop. After they finally made this amazing 501c3 company, they came to the conclusion that they just wanted to become a safe space and resource for survivors to know that they have support. They even were featured on season one for their own episode. They advocate for all survivors to include military members, veterans, and military spouses. And they want you to know to all survivors that when no one else believes you, they believe you. Make sure to check them out at webelieveyousos.com and you can also find them on Instagram at webelieveyousos. Check out their mission, make a donation, and get involved. Welcome to Little Bit of Life Podcast with your host, Tabitha, better known as Little. A lot of you may know her from social media, but Little is shown off the apps. Dedicated to having the real, raw, and occasional chats about what we seem to think, but don't say. Special guests will join in along the way that have impacted her in a profound way. Very little is left off limits, so sit back, enjoy, and here's your host. Welcome to Little Bit of Life. I'm your host, Tabitha, better known as Little on social media. Today, I have a very special guest that is joining me. Her name is Rachel, and she is a veteran, and after serving over 13 wonderful years in working for various departments of defense, military agencies, alongside military members, she had a stellar performance and career with many accolades. Great gig, right? Wrong. She was sexually assaulted in the early summer of 2001 and was learning not only how to distract herself and prevent herself from this ever happening to her again and going through the trauma, but on August 11th of 2021, she was sexually assaulted for the second time, this time at work by her supervisor in what they call a non-consensual sexual contact. It was a scandal, and it still is. She's in litigation right now. But it included a failure to take sexual assault reporting, refusing to provide information to vet representatives for both senators from states involved. She was harassed inside of the building and retaliated against. But what was even more disturbing for her story is that this immediate supervisor was charged with rape, sodomy, and adultery in the early year of 2000 while serving in the Army. Many have to wonder, why would he even be able to obtain a federal job? Why was this allowed to happen again? But guess what? This happens all the time. She always asked herself, was it just her luck, a curse, a bad omen that this would happen to her twice? No. It's bad policing. It's bad policies. It's poor judgment and action from the military itself. But did this stop her as a female? Not at all. Did this make her sit on the back burner and think, you know, I'm a victim and this is terrible and I just can't do this any longer? Nope. She's a badass. She's incredible. I'm so honored to have her on today. She said, enough. And she started a wonderful organization that no woman should ever have to endure. She created her own business. It's called Welcome to Combat Beauty's Apparel. I love it. 
I love it. A portion of all the apparel purchases goes directly in support of military and veteran sexual assault advocacy programs. She's incredible. So make sure to sit back and enjoy today's episode. I'll see Mr. Miller's late. 10 4 Stop it! Sorry, the office. 10 4 hey, can you die? 11 outside. Okay, on my way. Adam, 10, 10.35, Mary. Hello, Miss Rachel. How are you doing today? I'm good, Tabitha. Thank you for having me today. Thank you for coming on. I'm so excited to have you with your own episode, your own platform, your own space to tell your story that is not only something that has happened to you once, but has happened to you twice. And you have been not only recovering and dealing with the trauma of sexual assault, but you're learning not only how to not let it change you and defeat you, but how it's actually molded you into the person and now the business that you have today. So tell some listeners a little bit about your story. What happened the very first time and kind of how did that make you feel? How old were you? Just kind of a little bit of a backstory. Sure. So uh, this was summer of, say, 2001. I was in my early 20s. I was married at the time, living, um, married to a military. But at the time, my husband was stationed in Korea. Um, I was in, he was in the Air Force. I was enlisted in the Army National Guard, but I was also finishing my undergraduate degree. At the time, my, like I said, my husband was um, stationed in Korea, and I had just my eight-year-old son at the time and was living probably about 1,200 miles away from home and family, had nobody there. I was at the base by myself. Um having a friend and my niece come down for the summer to visit and just kind of help me out. And um, when they came down, I um, I kind of introduced my friend to like the, the whole military. She had never been a part of what a base, been on a base, what a base looked like. So listeners that are probably from the older school, <laughs> um, we used to have the those NCO clubs were the the thing on the weekends. And uh, one of these nights I had taken her out to the NCO club. And um, at that time I had, um, she had met a, a gentleman there and they actually ended up living in our apartment complex that we lived in. And she ended up dating <laughs> him. And so we, we would go there regularly on the weekends. My friend's boyfriend's roommate tended to tag along with her boyfriend at the NCO club as well. One of these evenings we were out and I had a little bit too much to drink. I made it home. Me and my girlfriend made it home and um, she had stayed with me at the time and along with my niece and my son. And I came home. I went right to bed. My friend had invited her boyfriend over that evening. Well, Unbeknownst to me, the, his roommate, the boyfriend's roommate, had come along too. He had told my girlfriend that I had invited him over and he was able to come over as well and hang out. But I was already in my room sleeping. Next thing you know, I am laying in my bed. I 
had no idea that uh, anyone was even in my home. Next thing you know, I am waking up to a man, someone I don't know that's got his arm, his, his um, arm pushed, he pushed his arm up against my arm. He had one of his legs inside of my left leg, um, as well as holding my other arm with his hand. I had no underwear on. I had no, I had a skirt that evening. I had no skirt on. I did have my top clothing on, but as I was turning and, and, and trying to kind of come out of, you know, being sleeping and also um, having too much to drink that evening, I, 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 it I was just trying to come to to figure out what was going on. And I realized something is happening. What is going on? And that's when my adrenaline kicked in. I did not even know where I was. I What I realized being I was in my bedroom is because where I lay in my bed, through the blind, I could see one of the streetlights. And I realized, no, I am at home. I'm not anywhere but in my home. So I was piecing this information together as, again, your adrenaline starts kicking in, like, what is going on? I don't know who he is on top of me, but I now am realizing that he's, I'm being penetrated. I asked him to please stop. I asked him no, where I could see his part of his skin and his face. I realized who it was. I then, during this process, and he said nothing to me this whole entire time, but I turned to my right and I saw my eight-year-old son laying there. He opened his eyes and I looked at him. He looked at me and I said to, to this guy, I said, please stop. I said, my son is in the bed with us. Please stop. He didn't. And I guess at this point, I was getting louder. My girlfriend, and I'll just say my girlfriend was in the other room with her boyfriend, and they had the music on. My niece, she was, it was a longer hallway, and all the bedrooms were in the back, along with the restroom. But my niece ended up hearing me down the hallway. I couldn't believe that this 11-year-old heard me. She came, she knocks on the door and says, Titi, and he jumps off of me, busts the door open and just uh, darts right out, right out of the front door. I grabbed my niece right away and I said, what did you hear? What did you hear? It, it, everything that happens felt like so slow, but so fast at the same time. I didn't even realize I had was yell or raised my voice that loud that she she heard me and she saved me an 11 year old girl saved me she knew enough to know something's not right to this day she's 32 years old she remembers that my son is uh, 29 he remembers that night and it was traumatic for them too. We cooperated fully. The police, um, I called the police, I made the report. 
I handed over everything, my clothing, my bedding. I went and had a rape kit done. I, I cooperated fully with the police. When they went to arrest him, because if you recall, he lived in the same apartment complex. The time they went and arrested him, it was probably five in the morning. He was showering at five in the morning. They actually had a towel with his, he had a towel on with his hands behind his back. When the police found out about it, my address was in the news or in the newspaper. They, they, uh, I had no privacy to what had occurred. So the local newspaper put down that there was a rape at my address. At the time, um, I, because it happened off base, they allowed the local police, the Air Force said, go ahead and handle it. The local police took it. And even after I had gone through the rape, you know, the, the rape kit and when the police came to my house and they took everything and it scared the kids. It scared me. I had never been through this before and what was going to happen. They even found, um, I don't want to be graphic, but I want to just explain how this played out, but they found the used condom mm -hmm. outside of my apartment door. I just remember saying, well, Thank God he used a condom, um, as I had no idea that, and the police officer said they found it, that must be his, and it was, it was his. Where it got really traumatic, if that wasn't traumatic enough, was we spent the entire day at the police station. I was in, I began being questioned over and over, and it became what you know, were you drinking? How much did you have to drink? How did you get home? And um, almost as if, and this is 2001. So you got to remember, um, I guess MST was not a word. And the victims were really being looked at, but like, well, what, what did you do to provoke this situation? It was, well, you were driving home drunk. You were driving on base drunk. And yes, I was. And a lot of people did at the time. You could drive on base drunk. Back then, they kind of, the, the, um, the SPs just kind of let you go. They let you go through. I know it's, you know, today that's not something they do. But I, I, I was looked at under a microscope of my behavior. And, well, why was I there? I'm a married woman. I began to even believe a lot of that myself. Through that, the the guy said, well, I wasn't, no, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. So the, as the story began to unfold, they said, no, he said, no, that wasn't me. I wasn't there. And they said, well, we, we found the condom. He said, well, she invited me there. And then it became, this was a ploy um, to bring my husband home from Korea. Um, that probably hit me the hardest because it began to become an interrogation of, they were protecting again, um, him rather than, than me. I don't know that at the time they knew I was in the military as well. Being 
I was a part of a National Guard unit where you don't drill. Every, you're not active duty. You're only part of a weekender or, you know, once a month or one weekend a month, uh, two weeks a year. At that time, they don't get involved. They didn't have those. You had your training, but they weren't as involved. And if something like that happened, that was left for the local police. It was nothing that they even would want to know about. So even to hand it over that way, the police kind of made that choice to say, no, we'll take, you know, they make that choice for you. Whereas a victim, you don't get to do that. I was actually treated like a dependent instead of a member. It, it, it just really played out very differently. And I was interviewed by OSI. I just remember feeling like I, I've said everything I've had to say. I've told everything. And I just remember them protecting him. And they brought my, they did bring my husband at the time back from Korea. I chose to leave the state and go back home. So my husband was going to drop me home and then return to Korea to finish his time out. But mm -hmm. I had such a hard time. I, I chose the civilian side to go home and seek therapy through the civilian side. Then just kind of cut ties the military side. Once I left that state, cut ties with them and be done. Um, my husband and I ended up fighting. We had to fight to through our congressman where he said, I'm not leaving my wife. I'm not leaving her this way. I can't go back and finish because they told him, if you don't come back, you're AWOL. And, and, and I, at that time, I just chose to leave. I, I felt like I did everything I could. I said everything, but yet this became about me. And so I, what do you do in that instance? I just said, I need to go. I did hear that he went in front of a grand jury and was uh, indicted, but by then, at that time, I just wanted to, to be put completely behind me. I was just devastated. The trauma I had put my son through, I felt like, you know, the, even my niece and, my, and myself as well, it just was, it was just easier to just walk away. When we hear stories and scenarios from victims, and when we use the word victim, so many people think, oh, well, why didn't you stop it? Why didn't you fight it off? Why didn't you yell? Why didn't you do? And for those that have never been in a SA scenario and you've never been in those shoes, when we talk about a victim, the definition of a victim is a person that is harmed, injured, or killed as a result of a crime, accident, or other event or action. When you're in that moment, and it's a man over a woman because that's that's what we're dealing with. When you are a female and you have a man that is overpowering you with strength and size, and until you're in that moment and you're in those shoes, that moment and that episode is a state of shock. And we hear so many, so many stories of these women that are coming out and stating, you know, I had a lot to drink. It happens. How many listeners right now that are sitting there 
can you sit there and say in my 20s, in my 30s, in my 40s, in my 50s, you've never had a moment where you have had an enjoyable time. You've been at a concert. You've been at a bar. You've been out with friends. You've been at a happy hour with your girlfriends. There is not one individual that can sit here and state that there has not been that one time that maybe you had a little too much to drink. Does that make you not a victim? No. Does that make your story not accepted, not heard, not listened to, not supported? And I think especially when we discuss the military, and that's that's all branches. It's like with her, with her scenario. It's not just active military. It's National Guard. It's, it's everyone that puts on a uniform. Drinking is normal. In the military, it's normal. It doesn't make you... A superhero that's untouchable, you're a human being underneath the uniform. Your heart beats the same. Your mind thinks the same. And so I think when these men and women are coming out and discussing sexual assault in the military, and this this also means if you are a spouse or a partner or a child, because it doesn't just affect the victim. It also affects the whole family and the whole community that surrounds you is that we are discrediting victims in that moment where they need to be heard. They need to be listened to. They need to feel supported instead of, like you said, discrediting, well, I was drinking. Well, I was this. You're a human being and you had a great experience in that evening, in that moment, and you made a choice. But just because you had too much to drink, it's not an invitation for inappropriate advances to be made acceptable. Absolutely. You know, I wish I could go back and tell my 20-something-year-old self that because it was very hard for me to forgive myself when the police officers are telling you and the, the agents are telling you, well, why didn't you stop drinking? Well, you were drinking and driving on base. You know, yes, at the NCO club, why didn't somebody stop me? Why was it? You know, so there's so much that goes into that. But I, like I said, I wish I would have um, not blamed myself for so long. And, you know, back then I had a lot of people blaming me. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had a lot of people and I don't want to say blaming me, but questioning me, questioning my actions. And I, all I could say is, look. I went home, the safest place I, you can be, in your home, in my bed. I didn't even change my clothes. I went to bed in the same clothes I went out in. That's pretty inebriated. To wake up with somebody that has you pinned up, and then you turn over and realize that your son has snuck in the bed as well, and the most horrible experience and gut-wrenching thing to de- to deal with. Mm-hmm. So I uh, am so glad that I was strong enough to, to stick through the therapy and stick through with the changes because, again, it didn't really come to the light. And I don't know if anybody remembers the the Air Force videos that they did have back in the day. They had one with the woman with the, uh, I say it was the red, dre- uh, red dress, but they are so far off the situations, the things that happen. They weren't prepared then. And 
they're still not prepared today. I think today being, you know, being with what just happened to me a year ago. So if we fast forward 2021, I'm out of the military. I'm now a federal civilian employee. I'm at my job and my supervisor, my immediate supervisor from day one, inappropriate comments. And I will say that, you you know, after being collectively 20 years between in the military and my federal service, you just you begin to know how to respond to these comments and things. Um, you just, again, you just have to deal with it. I, that's what I learned to do. Or you pretend that you didn't hear it. That's another one that I would use is I just pretend I didn't hear it. Well, this individual just did not let up. Um, from day one, one of the first things he said was, just so you know, I'm not going to hit on you. Okay. I hope not. Okay. I thought, okay. And that right there was a trigger. Okay. Because I had, I thought for you to say that, and I didn't make a comment that, but it rose a red flag for me. Progressively, um, and we we were in a COVID environment at the time, still in the COVID environment. So there's minimal people in the office, but he would call me in to the office early, telling me I had to be there an hour before. He had training to do with me. He was he was very good at the grooming. Initially, things that I would normally pick up, I I didn't catch, and uh, kind of sharing, giving me insider information. Um, which I thought was helping me in my career. You know, those, those I'm going to give you this information and and uh, just keep it between you and I. Um, but, you know, I thought, oh, this is, you know, this may be helping me. But in reality, it was the grooming. When the advances became um, more obvious, I had to turn him down and give him more pushback. He became more aggressive. And... Um, without saying too much, because I'm still in the legal process of it, he could not take no for an answer. I I don't know how clear I could have been with him, but I think that only made him more pursuant with me. What I did find out when he assaulted me, and, and it was considered non-consensual sexual contact, it's still a, a Sexual assault, it still falls under sexual assault. The hard time I had was this obstacle course of reporting. I'll say that the Army makes it so easy to kind of spell out, oh, this is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. You have to go here. This report needs to be filled out. You go talk to this person. Almost as if it's a checklist of things that are, you know, the checklist is required. The reality of what takes place and what has to happen is a whole nother, it's a, it doesn't play out that way. I, unfortunately, they made it so complicated. I went to five police stations, five, before anyone would take my report. And they said, oh, well, you're, you work for the army, but you're a joint command. Your installation sits on a Navy base. So you're a tenant. You, what? Why does that even matter? An assault is an assault. Like, I, 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 don't, I just don't get it. I don't get why that 
makes it more complicated. No, an assault is an sexual assault is a sexual assault. It shouldn't matter where you're standing, what building you're in. It should be treated as such. That wasn't the case. I I did fall under under those services. I I remember calling the sharp, um, the 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 sark at my unit, and she said, "Uh uh-uh, uh, no, 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 no. Why are you calling me?" She wanted to stop me immediately from telling her those words. I was sexually assaulted, so she didn't have to take that report. This happens a lot, which is why we have you on here. I've had numerous other interviews with others as well as, I mean, when you scroll TikTok of all places, you see all of these victims that are sharing their stories. And it's the same cat and mouse circle of you have a victim that is presenting themselves with, hey, I need help. Let's be real. A victim needs help. That's all they're asking. And you have all of these other people within this bubble that this is their job. This is what you were hired to do, trained to do. And this is what you are supposed to do. Like what happened between right and wrong? What happened to compassion? But you have all these people in this circle that now are breaking the cycle of making it acceptable. And that's the key word, acceptable for a victim to speak out. It is so scary to me of how much strength it not only takes as a victim to accept what has happened to you because you'll never recover. Everyone always says, oh, well, how did you recover? How did you don't recover from sexual assault? You don't, no matter who you are, no matter where you live, no matter what your job is, you do not recover from that. You learn to distract yourself. You learn prevention tactics so that you have this fear of this will never happen to me again. You're always on high alert of going back in that moment and every time somebody makes an advance of you, whether it can be just a, what they think is a joke. That's like always the key word now. Now, I mean, we're sitting here 20 years later for you and it's not changed. That's the key that we need to get across. Like, and, and I'm not just saying that this happens just with men, but it's, I would say, and, and you can, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I think it is more of a trend if that's the word we can safely use here, of, oh, well, I said this as a joke. I was joking. I get this all the time of derogatory, disgusting, not welcomed comments that when you have gone through a sexual assault situation in your life, this is a red flag. This is an alert. This is a trigger. And as the victim, you're always going to be a victim. So you're on this defense of, I'm not allowing this to happen again. And But in reaction is when you are standing up for yourself and you're creating those boundaries and you're standing up as a victim and you're asking for help, you're not heard. There's a difference between somebody listening to you and somebody hearing you. And that's why we're doing these stories on this platform is because when you listen to someone, you listen and move on. When you hear someone, 
you hear the experience, you have compassion, you feel what they've been through, and then you're moving in a direction of action. This happened not only to you once in the summer of 2001, but you were in a scenario that it happened again, whether, and you know, for people who are listening and and I'm throwing this out there because this is exactly what this platform is for. When you go through something as sexual assault and you've never been through it before, as a victim, whether you have penetration or not, sexual assault does not just mean penetration only. And that's where we need to start waking up as society because it is any sexual contact or behavior. It's a behavior that occurs without explicit consent of the victim. I think as society, we're putting sexual assault into this bubble and then you get into the military aspect and let's just say that is like, that's not even a bubble. They're building a concrete wall of, well, did this happen? There's no checklist for sexual assault. You as the victim, if you did not give consent, you're a victim. Exactly. Correct. When that did happen, even myself, and I believe that for me, I did not, I knew he had done, this was something. I did not know it was sexual assault until I read it. And I realized this is sexual assault. And I truly believe this was because I let a lot of these things kind of go. No means no. Zero tolerance is absolutely zero, nothing, zero. So we should be able to report things and call them substantial, call them what they are, substantial. I don't need somebody to pick apart if I said he said something to me or she said something to me. We know what things mean. We know how comments are made. One of, I will tell you, one of the comments he made to me, he said, and he used to corner and block me in my, in my office and block my door. And he, and one day I was getting ready to close out my computer. So I was bent over just closing out my computer. And here he is in my doorway and kind of scared me. I turn around. I bet you were skinny in high school or you were skinny in high school, weren't you? And it's like, okay. And mind you, at that point, he was looking down and, you know, kind of shook his head and, 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 you know, blinked a few times, letting me know what he was, what he was looking at. And something like that, you know, they'll call non-substantiated, you know, unsubstantiated. And we all know these comments, and it starts with, it, it, it starts with those kind of comments. That's the key. That's where it starts. There's a start point for those that are listening. There is a starting point that I feel and being a a victim myself of this, even when I was really young and I did an episode about it and it was with my supervisor that I worked with and my very first job. It starts somewhere because like she said, it's this grooming period. And once that advancement or as a joke, or just as a simple comment, as they like to excuse it, is accepted on your side, you gave them a green light. It won't stop. It will not stop until it's too late. And and they might, the army might say, the military might say, oh no, you know, you can report these things. It depends on who it is and how important that person is to the command, whether or not 
something is substantiated or unsubstantiated. And if it's typically even substantiated, it's because they want to get rid of them and not because of what you said. And it's unfortunate because they need to hold them them more accountable. This is how we stop sexual assaults is by taking it seriously. This baffles me because when you sent me the information and prior to us scheduling this interview, I always do my due diligence and research before having guests on. I not only want to provide a platform for you to share your story and to reach out and to touch maybe just one person, maybe one person just needs to hear a topic that we talk about, but reading through the document information and having conversations with you. In the evenings, you know, on my downtime, I flip through all of the all of the social media options that we have, TikTok, Instagram, um, we've got Netflix, we've got Hulu, we've got Paramount, we've got everything. And when you go to the true crime section, we see all this stuff right now that's coming out of rapists and sexual assault and domestic violence. And, you know, this victim lost their life and this victim had to go through this, but it always ends so tragically. But you never hear anything in regards to the military. Like that just amazes me because this is where all of the in and out cat and mouse secretive quiet. Don't talk about it. Even if you're a victim, don't talk about it. Like how dare you not only have this happen to you, like you have control to just don't talk about it. And in the civilian world, when this happens, and if you have a family member that is raped or that is sexually assaulted, they go to jail. We don't want them near anybody. So why is it different with the military? I was raised in a military family. I was raised in a family that we had law enforcement and first responders. And I was raised from my mom and my grandpa and my grandmother and my uncle that a person in uniform is a respected person, no matter what uniform they have. If you need help, that's somebody you go to. But now, even 20 years later, for you, we're sitting here and stating, it's not getting better. It's not changing. So I think my main concern now is, are we going backwards as to what we're accepting as behavior because you're in a uniform, because you're a man with with all of these people that are underneath you and you're a supervisor, are we really going backwards in accepting this behavior as, well, it's just part of life, deal with it? That's that's how it's coming across to me, which where does that place victims in this to have control, not only of what they allow and say no to and boundaries, but what is this? where does this allow victims to have a place to report when something does happen. Because if you're not going to stop the behavior at the very start, where does that lead the rest? I mean, it's going to affect everybody. So if you're not going to go at the root of the problem, which in this situation is this individual still living their life and getting better and better at this at this just disgusting form of behavior, but what happens? What happens to all the victims and why? It's preventable. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, interestingly, those that have the ability, right, to to remove, I I will tell you, the victims get retaliated against. 
and they're pushed out, which was what happened to me. And I've had a great career. I had a great career in the military. I had a great career in my federal service. Never anything terrible, um, nothing great appraisals. My never had an LOC and an LOR. Well, once I returned from FMLA, that's the only way I could remove myself from being under his supervision. In 17 days, 17 from me being coming back from FMLA after the assault, I managed to get an LOC, which has never, again, never happened in my 13 years as a federal civilian, an LOC and an LOR and then let go. 17 days. They were prepared. That 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 should set off alarms everywhere. But guess what? The commander said in her document, I believe she was sexually assaulted. I believe that. She said, I believe this happened. Okay, you believe that happened. You let this happen. You let this retaliation happen. You're the one who gave me the LOR. And yet, you returned the perpetrator, the sexual, the, the, the assaulter back into the building. You're the commander. You make the rules. That is your building. You are responsible for everyone inside that building. But yet you cannot, you know this happened and you let him, he's back in the building today. And yet people sit and ask, well, why didn't you report it? Why didn't you report it sooner? They ask victims this all the time. I mean, it's this it's amazing to me because we have this huge outpouring of men and women that are coming forward and it's it's this movement and I talk to a lot of people that have podcasts that deal just strictly with military and sexual assault and I work with a, a, amazing companies that support victims and are there for them and believe them and that's that's crucial. And we have this uprise right now of people that are strong and they're they've had enough and i think that that's where we're at now of victims have had enough because this happens more than you know for these listeners that are hearing this episode retaliation is nothing new getting in so-called trouble because you had a voice and you spoke out because you had enough it is not something that happens just a couple of times. It's, it's all the way across the board in the military. It is, you are punished for what happened to you. Yes. Yes. They will stretch the, they will take something, com- flip it completely around. And everybody else around them also knows what they're doing, but nobody wants to address it. And that's, I'm sorry, being a bystander and watching this happen, whether you're a SARC, a victim advocate, EEO, some people have to stand up. It it just, it cannot be tolerated. To talk about these topics is something that I'm passionate about because I want to bring awareness. And so many listeners have provided feedback from season one episodes, whether it was in regards to sexual assault, domestic violence stories, and also the flip side, because there is that flip side of wrongfully convicted, wrongfully you know, accused in the military, because that is part of the JAG office as well. They have an agenda. They have that money that they need to make, and they have those numbers that they need to be meeting as well. Getting the feedback from listeners in regards to military topics, because when I first started season one, 
um, I have a really great support system and a community around me with military members, both active and retired. And it was interesting to me because when I asked the opinions first before doing these types of topics with the veteran community, the immediate response, there was no thought process in the response back to me. It was just quick. Don't do it. Don't do these topics. Don't touch them. Don't talk about them. Just let it go. And when I got that response back, I was I was terrified because automatically, you know, I'm speaking to my friends and my family and legal of, okay, is there anything that I need to tiptoe around or, you know, walk on eggshells or that I can't talk about? And the immediate response back I got was, no, like you can talk about this. Obviously no names and no like descriptive details or anything. But when I sat and realized the fear behind talking about this, it terrifies me because that is why victims are not getting anywhere. That is why these companies are not getting anywhere because it's this fear of the shutdown. It's the fear of all of these obstacles that they put in front of you. And it's this fear of I'm going, and I hear this all the time, I'm going up against the military. I'm going up against something and someone that is stronger than me, more powerful than me, financially more stable with all of these avenues and options that I don't have, and they're going to drain everything that I have out of me. And the, the, the cycle and the circle always comes back to, why am I going to do this? Because I'm not going to win anyway. That's always what this topic comes around to. And having you on and hearing 20 years, 20 years has passed. For a listener right now, sit and think, what has happened to you in 20 years? The good, the bad, the ugly, like those moments that were just incredible, those hard moments that you couldn't get through. 20 years. And to still sit here and be able to say that it's not only not changing, but it's getting worse. That terrifies me. Because where are we going to be in 20 years from now with with victims, are they going to not even be able to make it to the point? I mean, you go on Google and you can type in military member, military veteran, woman, man killed by this person, this supervisor, their ex-husband, a boyfriend. But why does it take that level of tragedy to get somebody's attention? Why does it take these service men and women being just violated, even just with privacy. I mean, when you're a sexual assault victim and you have to go through a rape kit, that is the most violating thing that anyone can ever experience. And then for you, you had your not only your privacy violated, but you were placed in the media of all places of, hey, here's the address and this happened. Is that going to make you want to come forward and feel strong and feel, oh yeah, I'm I'm going to go, I'm going to fight for myself? It just degrades you even more. It puts you further and further down in the spiral of back to that circle of fear. Is this even worth it? Why am I going to do this? And it's scary because you and I had talked about this in the beginning of with your age now and with going through this one time, and one time is enough. That's that's more than enough. But going through this a second time, you knew 
where to go. You knew what your rights were. You knew what your resources were. You didn't have to go through that investigative stage of like, okay, well, if I go to this office, will they help me? Or if I contact this number and go through 500 million phone prompts and get nowhere, what's next? Where do I go? So with this happening to servicemen and women early in the game, newbies that are coming out of boot camp and they're on base and they just think, well, this is just this is just part of what you signed up for. How scary is that? They don't even know where to go or what to do. Yes. And and as I mentioned, I knew I knew what to do. I I, I knew people too that had some kind of power, right, to to assist me. Um and they took me all over the the mulberry bush and up and around just in circles. And when I tell you that is the stance, that is to to deter you, to, to make it the most difficult process possible. Well, thank you for coming on and being a guest. You're amazing. You're a rock star. I, I just, if you guys have not checked her out, her, her uh, company is going to be also in the bio as well. Um, it's Combat Beauty's Apparel, and I'm just in awe that not only have you gone through what you've gone through, and you're just a badass. Let's just call it what it is. You are. You've been you've been through some traumatic moments that I don't know anyone who could come out of it. But you turned what happened to you into a passion to help other people, and you've turned it into something that gives you a purpose and that you're standing up and saying, no, that's enough. And you're not only standing up for yourself, but now you're standing up for so many. And I think what you're doing is beautiful. Absolutely. And I wouldn't rather, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else, um, but doing this for those that are, that are out there. Cause I want this to stop. Um, so I'm going to keep fighting and I appreciate you providing this platform to allow me to share my story and hopefully help somebody else in dealing with this. You're resilient. You'll get through this. Just keep fighting. This is Little signing off. Thank you for listening. I'll see you for the next episode. And thank you so much to all of our sponsors. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Little Bit of Life. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow on your favorite platform and interact with the podcast Facebook as well as on Instagram at littlecute1az. We'll see you next time.